and CEO of a company that runs over 20 successful businesses in the heart of New York City, as well as food chains across the country. You might have heard of Shake Shack and some of the other ones. But Danny Meyer, in his early beginnings in the restaurant industry, was frustrated with his first restaurant, the Union Cafe. And he couldn't quite get things right. He couldn't quite set the culture the way he wanted it. And so he had a meeting with his mentor. And his mentor said, okay, Danny, clear the table. Clear the table of everything, all the plates, all the napkins, everything, except for the salt shaker. And so he handed Danny the salt shaker and he said, Danny, I want you to place it in the center of the table. And so he takes the salt shaker and just carefully, meticulously sets it right here. Now, as soon as he does that, his mentor immediately takes it, moves it to the edge. He says, put it back. So he takes it, kind of gives a weird look like you're giving me right now. Puts it back in the center. Immediately, Joel moves it. He says, put it back. So he starts to put it in the center, moves it over, puts it in the center, moves it to the other side. And he starts to wonder, okay, is this a Mr. Miyagi moment right now? Like, what's going on? And so after a few times of doing this, the mentor looked Danny in the eyes and he said, the salt shaker represents your team values and your vision and your heartbeat for your business. And that as a leader, your job as a leader is to daily place what's important back in the center. Now, there are going to be some people that you face that deliberately move it. They're kind of annoying. Now, there are going to be other people who don't know where it's supposed to go, and they just kind of, without knowing, put it to the side. One of your core jobs as a leader of an organization is to daily, routinely put it in the center. And then as soon as you stop putting what's important in the center, then it's your time to move on as a leader. Now, while this illustration was used to describe team culture and vision and values of what's important in a restaurant industry, I want to make it a little more personal and ask you the question this morning, what is at the center of your table? What is it that you have to routinely place back in the middle? And that people, circumstances, maybe sometimes your own choices, or even distractions will move what's important. But my challenge to you is to every day make a personal choice to place Christ in the center of your table that the world is going to come at you. The world is going to try to move, shift your priorities. It's going to put something on the edge. Or maybe your table feels like it's leaning a little bit and it just starts to slide or drift. But one of your jobs as a Christian, as a believer, is to daily remind yourself that Jesus himself, our living hope, should be the center of our lives. Now, what are some obstacles that come from keeping you from placing Christ in the center of your table? I believe two that Peter talks about. We're walking through the letter of 1 Peter, and he, he's going to talk about two obstacles that keep people 
from placing Christ in the center. The first one is rejection by the world. To be a follower of Jesus means that you are not following the world. And if you're not following the world, they get upset at that. But secondly, it can be our own desires or the desires of the flesh. Sometimes, without thinking, we actually move Jesus off the middle and we place personal desires, finances, popularity. We turn good things into bad things. We turn love into lust. We we take stewardship and resources into greed. We take a godly conscience and we turn it into guilt. So whatever it is that causes you to move Christ off the centerpiece in your life, we're going to share how you can routinely place it back. If you have your Bibles, open up to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1. And we shared last week that Peter is a great person to write about facing difficulties because Peter is the apostle of hope. He was the roller coaster disciple, meaning one minute he's standing being called the rock. The next minute he's disobeying Jesus and being referred to as Satan. So he, he's, he's walking on water and then he's denying Jesus three times. So he's all over the map, but ultimately Jesus reinstates Peter and empowers him with the Holy Spirit to start the church. Fast forward about 30 to 40 years, and he's writing to a group of exiled Christians, Christians who are persecuted, spread out through five different provinces of modern-day Turkey, who are experiencing extreme persecution. And he offers them living hope because Jesus is alive, our faith is alive. And if our faith is alive, we are alive, and it gives us the strength to fight for another day. And we shared how ultimately last week that hope inspires action. That we have the living hope, which then calls us to live holy and to love others. And he ends chapter one referring to the power of the living word, the scripture, the Bible. And he transitions into now chapter two. When they, when they wrote these letters, they were not chapter and verse. It was one continuous letter. But for ease of reference, later on they put in the numbers so that we can refer back to them. And so we're going to pick it up in what's seen as 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. And so turn in your Bibles or onto your digital devices, or we're also going to have the verses on the screen. We're going to pick up this story, how Peter is offering encouragement and how, based off our illustration here, they can place Christ back in the center. He writes this, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Now here he's saying, in light of a living hope, in light of a living word, because God has given you hope that is for your real life right now, what he's saying here in verse 1 is to put away the things that break relationship. Malice means an ill will. Deceit means to be deliberately dishonest. Hypocrisy, it means pretending to be holy. 
Envy is, is a resentfulness or jealousy that comes when you don't have what you want. And then slander is purposely spreading lies. Now, when we hear things that say, put away the sins of the world, we think that, well, you can't tell me what to do. That's in a very American way of doing things, right? That we want everything our way, customize how we want it on our time. And so how dare someone tells me to do anything or set anything aside? Except when you look at those five things, no one wants that in their relationship. Think about your marriage. Think about work. Think about friendships. If someone said, describe your relationship with your best friend, you would not want it described as deceitful, filled with malice, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. You know, if you're thinking of someone right now, you can just shoot them an encouraging text. Hey, I read 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, thought of you today. <laughs> just don't tell them what it means. <laughs> so what he's saying here, in light of the living word, in light of hope, put away the things that break your relationship with Jesus. Then he continues on now in verse 2. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. I love this picture because this analogy of an infant craving milk is still just as valid 2,000 years later. Because if you have a small child or you've seen one, you've all seen that little face with the, with the little baby going. Like the baby doesn't know exactly where to find it, but he's just, just craving that nutrient, that nourishment. In the same way, do you crave the nourishment from God that God can actually fill your soul? Because then he, I love that verse, verse three. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. That's what we sang about this morning, isn't it? So he continues on, verse four. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. So we have the living hope given through the living word. And now we have the living stone. We just sang about Jesus as the cornerstone. And Jesus is that cornerstone, but he is alive. We do not worship a dead prophet, but rather a living savior. And it shows here that he has been rejected by men, but chosen by God. Same is true about you and for me. It says, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built as a spiritual house to be holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus. For it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. You know, a cornerstone can be the foundation of a building or a tripping hazard if you're not trying to build something. <laughs> so that's what he's saying there, that Christ can be the cornerstone of your life 
or a stumbling block if you're trying to live or build your own facility. It says they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do, to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of your flesh, which wage war against your soul. That's what's at stake here. It's your soul. He says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. We shared last week that Nero, the Roman emperor, was trying to unite and, and, and really hold his fist of power. And so he did that and united the provinces by giving a common enemy. And so if something bad happened, he would blame the Christians. And so what Peter's telling this group of Christians and believers is that if you follow God and love him and love others the way that God has loved you, may you treat others with honor so that when they speak poorly of you, that your actions will ultimately prove otherwise and prove the genuineness of your faith and that others will come to find what's meaningful in their soul. And so he gives this incredible picture of Jesus as the cornerstone, the living stone. Paul writes about this as well in Ephesians 2.20. And, and he gives this picture and then calls us, if Jesus is the cornerstone, we are like living stones. So we're being built. There's a story of some contractors who were building a house. And they, built the, and they framed out the first floor. And everything was great. But when they tried to frame out and build the second level, nothing was fitting, nothing was the right dimensions, and nothing was working. And after a while, they looked down and realized that they were trying to build a house with two different blueprints. <laughs> and so on one floor, a team was building on one blueprint, and on the other floor, they were using a completely different blueprint. It's no wonder those things didn't match. In the same way, how many of you are trying to build your lives with two different sets of blueprints for your life? You see the word of God and you're trying to follow it maybe one day a week here or two or three days a week here, but on the other days, you're trying to follow your own blueprint or as the world values is, no, do this, say this, go here, act this way, pursue this. And if you use two different sets of blueprints, you're not gonna get the house that you want. You know, separately, one stone by itself is not a lot. But collectively can build an amazing structure. Legos are really awful things to step on. They're little landmines at home. And some of you might have said a few words you're not proud of by walking through the hallway in your kid's room if they left Legos out. And a little Lego piece seems insignificant until you go to the theme park Legoland and you see these massive structures that are all built from these little pieces. And you're like, wow, 
personal favorite was the Star Wars section of Legoland, but just, just throwing that out there. But the idea is that something small in and of itself, when placed with others, can build something significant, is the picture that Peter is painting here. I have some friends that, I was on staff at a church in Florida for about five years, and our church would take routine trips to Haiti. Well, we had one team that was there, and some friends of mine were there, if you remember a few years ago, when there was that big uh, Haitian earthquake. And so some friends of mine were there when the earthquake happened. In fact, one of my buddies was thrown five to ten feet in the air, like the, the, the ground swelled, and the floor he was on threw him into the air. It was like it was like nothing he'd ever experienced or imagined. Now, he was safe, the team was safe, and they made it back okay. But as they were leaving, buildings, entire buildings were in rubble. And in fact, the country of Haiti is still trying to rebuild from the damage that happened a decade ago. And if it's not necessarily an earthquake, maybe it's a tornado or a hurricane or, an, or a number of natural disasters where after you see come through, just devastation in the wake. Have you ever noticed that following a hurricane or an earthquake or a tornado is just complete chaos and rubble and devastation? I've never once seen an earthquake or a tornado or a hurricane come through and then build a skyscraper in the process. Chaos leads to chaos. I think it's one of the strongest arguments, to be honest with you, in terms of creation. That creation points to a creator. Art points to an artist. Music points to a musician. Design points to a designer. We have been wonderfully made. We have been given purpose. And so the idea of being called a living stone is that your life is not rubble, but your life is being built. And that God builds our lives brick by brick, relationship by relationship. And I love when the Bible includes buts in the Bible. And I say that because being a youth pastor, every time I said the word but, kids giggle. But also is that there's this huge transition. You see, Peter quotes three passages. He quotes the Psalms twice and then from Isaiah. So he quotes passages that were written 700 and 1,000 years prior to the coming of Jesus and says, hey, the coming of Jesus is this picture of the cornerstone. The person that we've been longing for, who you've been hoping for, is here. And he says, people will stumble over this. They will try to live their own lives. They will live in envy and in slander and in pain. And they will search and pursue the meaninglessness of the world. But you are different. And he gives them a new identity. Picture this group of people that have been spread out. Some of them are in hiding. They're in five different providences. They've probably been, their land has been taken. They don't have authority. It's in an area where the wealthy are getting more wealthy and the poor are getting everything taken. And he comes in and says, no, you are royal priesthood. Priests in that day were the only ones that had access to God. 
The high priest was someone who would go and declare and bring sacrifice for the people once a year and go into the Holy of Holies. And it was so intense that they would literally tie a rope around the priest's ankle because if he was not right with God, God would strike him dead in the temple. And so then how do you go and pull out someone that's struck dead because they're not holy in a temple where you're not allowed to go? So they literally would have a rope. And if something didn't go well, they'd pull them out. I mean, that's an extreme picture. But now think about how extreme that is to then be called a royal priesthood. That now you and everybody who calls themselves a Christian has direct access to who God is. Your life might feel like it's in rubble, but it's not. You are being built as living stones into the temple and the building and the body of Christ. You might feel like you are separated from God, but you are a royal priesthood. That Then you are called, you guess what's called in, in Romans 12, 1 and 2? You're called to offer what as a priest? A living sacrifice. And so we've been given living hope through the living word as we worship the living stone, that now our lives are the sacrifice that we choose to deny ourselves and to pursue what's better. Here you have a group of people who lost all power. They're being attacked. And how incredible is it to be called a chosen citizen of heaven? Imagine being in a war-torn country. And being under attack and the ability to go to an embassy or as an ambassador to have secured freedom that while you're in enemy territory that you can come and because you are a citizen of this nation in the same way when those are being persecuted that this is not our home but you are called as an ambassador of Christ. And so you're stones of a living building. You're priests of a living temple that you're citizens of a holy nation. You were not once not a people, but now you are. Now you have a team. Now you have an identity. And it's in that identity that God calls us to act. People are going to routinely try to move around or knock over even your identity. But your job as a Christian is to routinely remember, remember, remember and so how is it that we, as Christians, can continually set Christ in the center of our tables? Because our culture seems to be going completely opposite. But the beauty of being surrounded by darkness is the purity of the light when you find it. And that the darker the night, the brighter the light shines in that. And so as Christians, we have been given the light and we can shine with what we say and what we do and how we treat people. And so how do you set Christ in the center of your life? I believe Peter gives us four things from this passage. Number one, set aside the things that break relationships. It's a filter. It's a mindset. Other places it says put to death the sins. But we always view that as a negative. But when you think of it in the context of relationship, you understand that Jesus wants you. 
I have many failings as a father, and times I mess up and don't do that. But one of the things I try to instill in my kids, and I've shared this before, but some of you haven't been in the room when I've shared this before, and so that most nights when I tuck my kiddos in bed, I'll say, if daddy could line up all the little kids in the world, and he could pick three kids to be his children, who would daddy pick? And then together, a kid would say, Jackson, Carter, Chloe. said, I want you to know that I would choose you above anybody else because I love you. Now, of course, being a brother, Jackson sometimes says, well, you wouldn't pick Carter. <laughs> I say, okay, out of all the little children in the world, I will pick two. No, just kidding. Um, but most nights I say that. Why do I say that? Because I want my kids to feel that they've been chosen, and they've been chosen because they are loved. And this is what this passage says, that here they are, afraid for their lives, coming from a guy, Peter, who's messed up time and time and time and time again. And so he can speak with authority because he was close to Jesus, and yet he denied Jesus to his face. But yet he can come on the other side and says, no, God loves me. And God loves you, and God chose you. You are chosen. And because you are chosen, you can set aside the things that break relationship. So what are the things that are keeping you from relationship with Jesus? What's pushing it aside? What addiction are you battling? What worries have you not given up to him? What personal desires have you just refused to turn over? If you set those aside your relationship's going to get stronger. But secondly, adore Jesus wholeheartedly. Adore Jesus wholeheartedly. And these go hand in hand. Because some of you might be thinking, but John, I am really battling something. Well, the key to defeating sin is the pursuit of Jesus. Now, in some cases, it might, you might need to take some extreme measures you might need some counseling or some help or support or group and take that. It's worth it. But in here, the key to a good defense is actually offense. Because if I sit here and I tell you repeatedly, whatever you do, do not picture a blue elephant right now. Don't think of a blue elephant. I am not going to think of a blue elephant. I'm going to go far away and never mention a blue elephant again. Well, what are you thinking of right now? A blue elephant. I think I heard someone say a green elephant. Okay. Thanks, smarty pants. Um, but that's how we treat sin. It's like, okay, don't sin, don't sin, don't sin, don't sin. And so we have this edge. If this is the edge, we're okay, I'm not going to sin, God. I'm not going to sin. I'm not going to sin. I'm not going to cross the line. See, I'm still good. Oh, oh, man, what happened? See, in Galatians 5.16 Paul writes, he says, that those who walk in the Spirit will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And it's this picture, this idea, that as you pursue the Spirit, you will do the things of the Spirit. And so it's actually adoring Jesus that gives you the power of the Holy Spirit to free you from the strongholds that are binding. When you understand that sin and addiction are like chains keeping you back from being free, it changes the perspective. No one says, man, I love just being chained and in prison. Oh, it's great. 
No, you long to be free, but you have to view them as chains. And so as you pursue Jesus and Jesus' power, his Holy Spirit is the one who removes that. And adoring Jesus, worshiping Jesus with your whole heart gives the Holy Spirit power to work in your life and actually frees you from those battles. So you set aside the things that break relationship. You adore Jesus wholeheartedly. And then third, you look for ways to proclaim Jesus' goodness. Like, imagine, okay, imagine being at a birthday party, and I can say this because my little girl's turning four, and so later today we're going to have a little birthday party. Now, Chloe's going to be in her birthday party. She's excited. Now, imagine as a parent, I said, Chloe, open your presents. You know what that is? That's actually a command. (laughs) But no child's going to fight you on opening a present. No. I don't want a present. Be like, children, I want you to eat cake and dessert and to play. No. This is what God is saying here. We, we act like obedience is the worst thing of all time. And what he's inviting us into is saying, no, taste and see that the Lord is good. What I'm giving you is really a gift. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life, and I'm going to give that to you. Compare that first list in First Peter chapter 2, verse 1, with the fruit of the Spirit, love, patience, peace, kindness, joy, self-control. All of those things are things that we look for and long for, and that's part of tapping into the Spirit. So as you experience God, as you adore him wholeheartedly, you look for ways to proclaim his goodness. We talk about what we love. Okay, that's why I always talk about my kids. That's why I make jokes in sports. And some of you who I always rag on Michigan and other teams there, and you push back, and I love that because you have a team and you're passionate about that. And so it's not difficult for me to talk about sports or activities that I love or the people that I love. And so the question, if you're not sharing your faith, my question to you is, do you truly know and love Jesus? Because if you're not talking about him, why? (laughs) Look for ways to proclaim him. And think about this picture for a second. He's telling them in verse 11, he's saying, as exiles, abstain against the passion of the flesh that wage against your soul. Keep your conduct among Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day a visitation. This idea is that, man, when someone has everything going right and they're like, man, God is good. Don't you get a little bit of snickering in, in your heart a little bit, or at least I do? Well, of course life is good. You have boom, 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 and you, you have an explanation. But the testimonies that amaze me are people that have walked through the difficulties of life and come through that on the other side and say, God is good. Have you ever met someone who they walk through such a, a difficult circumstance and yet their faith is so strong and you're like, how do you do that? How is that possible? Well, it's possible because they have not chosen to be a victim. They've chosen to be victorious. 
And even if their circumstance is difficult, as Peter says, even though you don't see him right now, you love him. Even though you do not see him, you believe in him and you rejoice. And it's those testimonies, the people that can proclaim the goodness of God, even when things are not going well, those are the testimonies that impact and radically transform the world. And so if you're going through a difficult time, lean into that. I'm not saying you have to be all rosy. Romans 8 talks about how God works all things for good. Not that all things are good, but if God works all things for good in the end, that means if it's not good, it's not the end. And so you can keep persevering, persevering and moving forward so that you can proclaim the goodness of God. Why? Because you have tasted forgiveness. You have tasted hope and freedom and joy so that even though you're struggling right now, even though you're battling and you have questions, say, God, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. I, I can't believe this is going on. I have, I have cancer. I have a family member who's struggling. This relationship is broken. My job is at a loss. I don't know what's going to happen, God, but you are the living hope, which means I'm going to trust you. And that when I lean in on you, I know I don't know the future, but I know you hold my future. And so it's in that I'm going to trust. Because when people see that kind of faith, that kind of hope, be like, wow, I want that. <laughs> so the last thing is to treat others with honor. Treat others with honor. Respect is earned, but honor is given. That's why in the commandments, we're we're called to honor our parents. Maybe you have not had a great circumstance, but honor is something you choose to do or treat someone in light of who God sees them to be, not who you see them to be. And that when you treat people with honor, even when you are attacked, now honor is not the same thing as enabling. Okay, be smart, be wise. But when you honor those around you, It's different. So as the band comes up on stage, I just want to ask, where are you today? Where's the shaker? Some of you are like, it's not even on the table. (laughs) Let's start there. You can pray to receive him today. Some of you, it's just like, huh. Some of you have been like this for a long time now. You're like, oh, it hasn't moved that much. Wherever you are, I want to encourage you to put Christ in the center. And so how do we do that? Set aside the things that break relationship. Adore Christ wholeheartedly. Look for ways to proclaim him. And then treat others with honor. S-A-L-T. Salt. If you do those four things, you're going to put the salt shaker in the back of the center of the table, and Christ is going to be first in your life. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are a cornerstone, and that, God, you've called us to be living stones, to be a chosen people, a royal priesthood. God, we cannot make it to heaven on our own, but, God, we pray and lift you up. 
God, we want to put you in the center of our lives so that you can build our lives. God, help us to set aside the things that break our relationship. God, help us to adore you wholeheartedly. God, help us to look for ways to proclaim that you are good and help us to treat others with honor so that we can place you in the center of our lives, God. We love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.